Welcome to the Blackstone Podcast. My name is Matt Anderson, and I'm a senior vice president in Blackstone's Global Public Affairs Group. Today, we're hosting the latest edition of our Behind the Deal podcast series, which takes a closer look at some of our firm's most high-profile transactions. Given the topic at hand, it's no surprise that I'm seated next to these two individuals, who are among the most prolific dealmakers at Blackstone. First, Joe Barada, who's our global head of private equity, and Peter Wallace, who's a senior deal partner in our private equity business. Today, we're going to be discussing Blackstone's recent deal to acquire Merlin, which is a global leader in family entertainment and theme parks. While the name Merlin may not sound familiar, unless you're a King Arthur fan, you certainly know their brands. From Legoland, to Madame Tussauds, to the London Eye, to even Peppa Pig, they operate more than 130 attractions in 25 countries across four continents. With more than 67 million guests annually, they are the second largest visitor attraction business globally, right behind a certain mouse-eared company who shall remain nameless. Joe and Peter are going to give us the backstory about how this deal came together, including our long-term partnership with Kirkby, the investment vehicle for the family behind the iconic Lego brand. Joe, Peter, thank you for joining us. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having us. Joe, I, I want to start with a question for you. Can you tell us a little bit about the history of Merlin and how Blackstone helped build it into the global business that it is today? Yeah, it's a fun story, Matt. Merlin in 2005 was a small business that operated, I think it was 20 or 25 aquariums under the Sea Life Center brand. And uh, the London Dungeon and um, a couple of dungeons, I think, in York and one just opened in Amsterdam. And that was the business, more or less. It was led by a terrific CEO uh, named Nick Varney, who had a vision of consolidating the visitor attraction industry first in Europe and then possibly globally. And so we had a vision to back him to build a much, much bigger business. The initial acquisition was only 102 million pounds of enterprise value. And I think our initial equity commitment uh, to Merlin was $50 million. So it started quite small. We were then very quickly after that able to um, make two large acquisitions. One was the acquisition of the Legoland theme parks from Lego, the toy company, uh, which uh, resulted in Kirkby, our partner in the current deal, becoming a 30% shareholder in the business. And then we bought the largest theme park in Italy uh, called Gardaland. Shortly thereafter, we acquired something called the Tussauds Group, uh, which was an assemblage of large format theme parks in Europe, the London Eye, and the iconic Madame Tussauds brand. So after that, we'd end up deploying uh, more like $700 million of equity across um, all the shareholders in Merlin at the time and had created what was the second largest visitor attraction company next to um, the company not to be named. <laughs> so it was a very fun story, and it, it, it occupied about um, four years of my activity when I was in London. Uh, and we backed uh, this CEO, Nick Varney, of this small company, and obviously who was able to um, manage a much larger company, and he's one of the best operators we'd ever backed. And then we and then we IPO'd the business. Is that right? We did. I think it was in 2013. Uh, we took the company public in uh, in the UK. It's a UK uh, headquartered and domiciled company. Even though at that point the UK maybe only represented about 40 percent of the total business, uh, and it quickly became a FTSE 250 company. Now, uh, Peter, why did we think it made sense to take Merlin private again? Uh, what was our investment thesis here? Sure. Well, I think our view uh, is that there are certain businesses at certain phases in their life cycle where we believe the longer-term orientation of private ownership will allow for superior decision-making and better long-term results. 
You look at a business like this with these iconic, irreplaceable assets across the world, and the type of investment horizon it takes to make these investments, whether it's opening a new Legoland uh, outside of New York City, as the company is going to be doing over the next year, or, or making longer-term investments, which are difficult to do in a pro- public context where public investors are measuring the company on a, on a quarterly results. And so what we thought was there was a real opportunity to back this team and this franchise to continue to invest in these, uh, in this leading intellectual property and to continue to grow the business. Now, uh, Joe, can you tell us a little bit how this new deal came together? Uh, can you give us some of the backstory? We had partnered with Kirkby previously in the buildup of Merlin before it was public. We, of course, knew the management team quite well, and we understood the company well. There were new developments that they were making that, as Peter mentioned, were going to pay off over a very long period of time. And so we thought that there was an opportunity, uh, as the market wasn't prepared to take a very long-term view, to buy the company. And one needs to move quickly and decisively in a public to private situation. And we we had the confidence to do that. And we were, of course, um, going to be an acceptable counterparty to the Kirkby organization who uh, knows us well. Now, Peter, uh, this is a deal where we intend to hold the business much longer than the typical five to seven year private equity time horizon. Uh, can you tell us a bit about that approach and why it's particularly attracted to a family-owned business? Yes. As, as Joe mentioned, uh, in this investment, we've partnered with Kirkby. And as they were thinking about how best to invest in their business, in their brand, in growing uh, the location-based entertainment and, and the location-based expression of their brand, it was important to them to have a partner who shared that longer-term vision and who could be long-term partners in building out this company and what it was meant to be. And so... As they were thinking about the attractiveness of, of private ownership as opposed to public ownership, it was very important to them to have a partner who shared that longer-term horizon, who was prepared to make these longer-term investments in opening new parks, in expanding accommodations, in building uh, broader mega resorts, which will have multiple attractions in one location such that families, instead of having a, a one-day, can stretch that out into a two- and three-day short break. And it's very difficult to make that sort of commitment or those sorts of investments when one's thinking either in a public context about quarter-to-quarter returns or, frankly, even in a traditional private equity context where one's thinking about exiting four or five years in. And so when we came together with the Kirkby organization, a lot of the discussion was how this business could expand and could grow and be transformed over the course of 10-plus years. And and we've also done that in other contexts, too. I'm thinking of uh, a recent investment in ServPro. In that case, uh, we partnered with the Isaacson family. This is the leading disaster mitigation and reconstruction business uh, in the United States, which had been built by the Isaacson family over 50 years, uh, had been franchised and had grown into a real market leader. And the Isaacsons, uh, the second generation, was looking to bring in institutional capital and and looking to transition to a new form of ownership. Uh, And they thought that Blackstone in general and this this longer-term approach specifically made a lot of sense for them and their family and this company as it was looking to grow, again, not focusing on two, three, four-year quick flips, but rather how do we invest in this business over the course of a decade or longer. And so as they were thinking about who the right partners were for them and for the company, it was very important to have a partner with that sort of time horizon. Now, uh, Joe, stepping back a bit, uh, there's obviously been a lot of discussion about the current private equity deal environment. Uh, There's a criticism out there that there's too much capital chasing too few deals. 
which is driving up valuations. Uh, how, how do you respond to that, and how is Blackstone navigating the current market for its investors? Well, the public equity capital markets are valued in the many tens of trillions globally, and Merlin might not have been a conventional opportunity, you know, in any one moment. But there's always things that happen that creates opportunities to buy companies. And our we view our market as the totality of the public market. It's not every company, um, but many of them, and also large scale divisions of the many thousands of public companies there are out there. So I actually do not subscribe to the view that there's a finite limited number of deals uh, and an enormous amount of capital arrayed at a finite universe of companies that we're able to buy. There's always undrawn capital in the private equity industry. And there always has been as long as I've been in it. And as more capital has been allocated to the industry, different types of deals have become available, larger scale companies carving out businesses uh, from large public companies that used to not be done with regularity. So I think the private equity industry can continue to grow its assets under management and continue to deliver returns for our investors. We've had to become much more competent as industrialists, our ability to engage with companies to help drive their uh, operating performance, drive their strategies is now uh, more of a requirement than it ever was. But we've invested really substantially in the last decade and a half in our ability to add value to these companies. Yeah, I think one thing that's interesting here that this is, was, a, was a bilateral transaction. It wasn't an auction where 12 different private equity firms showed up. And I think that's been a calling card for Blackstone in a lot of our recent private equity deals. That's right. I think in our, you know, in our seventh fund, something like 75% of the transactions were negotiated bilaterally. Um, not subject to a large auction. So I do think this is a, 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 a strong testament to Blackstone's ability to uniquely manufacture um, opportunities and to, and, and to get them done. Now, uh, Peter, uh, live entertainment has been a particular investment focus for, uh, for Blackstone. Uh, personally, I was under the misimpression that no one left their homes anymore and just stared at their phones all day long, but clearly that's wrong. Uh, now, why has this been a high conviction investment theme for our firm? I think it's been a high conviction investment theme uh, very much because people are concerned about their children staring at their phones all day long. Uh, the increase in tourism on a global basis uh, has been one of our firm's highest conviction investment themes for some number of years, whether it's uh, through our real estate business as very significant investors in the hotel segment or very specifically in these family-oriented, location-based entertainment uh, operators like Merlin. Uh, as the father of three young children who, who do want to do nothing but stare at their phones, the opportunity to get the whole family out of the house, have a short break, get everyone into a real-world environment where they have to interact with each other and with the real world, uh, we, we think is, is a very safe and attractive place to invest. This is actually our fifth investment in a theme park business, whether it's Six Flags, Universal Orlando, SeaWorld, Merlin, and now Merlin a second time. And so we believe that there is significant continued growth uh, for these sorts of operations. I, I agree, Peter. And one of the funny anecdotes from when we first were looking at buying the Legoland theme parks from Lego back in 2005 was some concern on the investment committee that um, everybody was going to play video games. And is Lego going to be relevant into the future? And obviously, Lego now is, at least for the last decade, has been among the fastest growing toy companies in the world. Parents of Peter and Mai's generation want their children playing 
with things that require creativity and a tactile nature instead of just staring uh, at a video screen. So that risk that was identified all the way back in 2005 is proven unfounded. And we believe that people will continue to get outside as a family and enjoy experiences together. And if you can deliver a great themed, branded, safe and fun day to people, they're going to continue to come back for that. Uh, now, this, this, this last question is for both of you, and I, I saved the toughest one for last. Uh, what's your favorite Merlin attraction? Uh, well, Peter doesn't ride roller coasters, and I've, I've ridden uh, every roller coaster uh, at, at most uh, of the Merlin parks. Uh, but I'd have to say um, the 20 or so minutes you spend on the London Eye is uh, close to uh, irreplaceable. That seemed like an unnecessary bit of slander here in this forum. Um, I, I think I think the Legoland parks, they're about my speed. And, and I, I think being able to take a young child into the Legoland world and to be able to experience Lego that he's played with in his bedroom and experience it very much in three dimensions, um, in, in living color, uh, is really a wonderful experience for any parent to have. Uh, and uh, Peter, you mentioned this earlier, uh, Legoland's actually opening a theme park uh, this summer right outside New York City, uh, which should be exciting news to many of the parents listening. Now, Joe, is there any chance you'll be hosting the private equity team offsite there next year? I think there's a high probability that we'll be doing that. Fantastic. Uh, so Joe, Peter, thank you so much for joining us. Thank Thanks, you. Matt. Neither this podcast nor any of the information contained herein constitutes an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security or instrument in or to participate in any trading strategy with any Blackstone fund or other investment vehicle. Past performance is not indicative of future results and there is no assurance that any Blackstone fund will achieve its objectives or avoid significant losses. This podcast may contain forward-looking statements. Such statements are subject to various risks and uncertainties. For information about Blackstone's business, including risks and financial information, please refer to our public filings at ir.blackstone.com.